0: Good morning. For scripture reading, I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of this in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been greeted by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do, though you do not see him, though you do not now see him. it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you have that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ And this word is the good news that was preached to you.
1: Well, good morning. This is not where I am comfortable. It's quite a bit larger crowd than I normally speak to during the week. And I guess I need some power this morning, and that is our topic. When we talk about power, a lot of people, especially guys, get excited. They're very happy to demonstrate the power in some of their toys. um, Their big boy toys and otherwise. In the Old Testament, when the believers, the saints we're thinking about power they would often refer to <laughs> am i doing that Amber oh okay they would often refer to the creation like we sang about in the first song i sing the mighty power of god it's all over the book of psalms David proclaims God's power. They also referred to the physical times where God redeemed them. Think of how many times the Exodus is referred to as a demonstration of God's mighty power and God's protecting the people of Israel. Just over and over they refer to these physical demonstrations of power That God had demonstrated to them, and it gave them incredible confidence to serve God. In the New Testament, there's a shift. When we think of power in the New Testament, we think about the resurrection. And that is where much much of the, the demonstration of power in the New Testament is referred to that. And this morning we're going to talk about how that power is not so much the external power. It is sometimes that, but it is power that works inside of us and changes us from the inside out. When I introduced my topic this morning to the kids downstairs, I showed them this flashlight Those of you that were there this morning, who can tell me, do you remember why this beautiful machine that has power to create light, what is it about this that gives it power? All right, I see a hand back there. What is it? It's got a battery. Now, if the battery is weak, if it's not working or maybe I forgot to put one in, I can turn that thing on all that I want, and it doesn't produce any light. It has to have some power. That is much the way that we as Christians live our lives. If we don't have an external power source, we're going to be very ineffective rather lifeless. And we're certainly not going to be a good witness. For our text this morning, I'd like to turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to highlight two phrases in the last recorded words that we have of Jesus before he went back to heaven. So in the first part of the chapter... In Acts 1 up through verses 5, we see where Jesus tells them, hang around Jerusalem, don't go get started until you receive power because you're going to mess up. He didn't say that, but that's what he knew was going to happen. He said, you need some power. Hang around, it's coming. So let's start reading in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice they're still thinking about Israel and those physical demonstrations of power that they were used to in the Old Testament. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. And here's where He tells them this important message. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." Jesus just gave the outline of what this power would do all the way through Acts chapter 29. There's only 28 chapters recorded in Acts, but the 29th chapter is today. It is a church still at work demonstrating this power from God. So the two phrases I would like to look at are you shall, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And the second phrase is and you will be my witnesses. When I was a student at Rosedale, I went to Rosedale two years before I went to college. And one of the classes that I took there with Willard Mayer, I don't know how many of you remember who he was. But he, was, um, he had been there as a teacher for many years. And he, I took a class called Word Study. And he taught us how to go into these verses and look at the words and figure out what is behind that word. This was one word that we looked at, this word here for power. So we looked at it, and the word is dunamis, the Greek word. It's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. It, um, it is a supernatural power, and you can go look in a concordance in much of the New Testament words of power. It's not the only word that has been translated power, but many times in the New Testament, this is the word, this power, this dunamis. And this dunamis is... The definition is an effective ability, something that is effective, to accomplish an intended purpose. So if we think of this of this as God has an intended purpose that he wants to achieve, and he has given, he's using this effective ability, an incredible power source, it's dunamis. And it came in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's lots of named and described works of the Holy Spirit, and we don't have time. There's whole books written about the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to explore all of them. Let me just give you some of them that the Bible tells us. It says He baptizes us into the body of Christ. He fills us. He seals us. He indwells us. He gives us the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus said, He convicts. He leads. He guides. He transforms. He helps us produce righteousness. And oftentimes, when people look at this verse where it says, You will receive power, everybody, we're a little bit like Simon who Peter had to rebuke because Simon said, hey, I want some of that power. That's really cool. I would love to be able to speak in tongues. Wouldn't that be neat if I could go over to the Ukraine today and I could give this sermon in English and they would understand me? Or wouldn't it be cool if I would be in prison in China and I could just, like Peter, just walk out the door and the chains just fall off? Those are the kinds of things that we often want. We want that power. And I'm not saying that that power doesn't exist. It certainly did in the, in the book of Acts. But I think we get the wrong focus when that is our desire. I think what is most important is what that power does on the inside of us. Who it makes us. How it transforms us. How it how it makes us a brand-new person. And when that becomes our focus and we unleash that power, then I think there are actually opportunities for some of the other to happen. So resurrection power, and this is what I call it, it's not progressive redemption, okay? although there is a progressive change in my character. I hope that we can see that. But it is that power that I can daily live what Jesus called and described the abundant life. It is the power for me to live that way, not just today, but tomorrow when the van doesn't start because the battery's dead. It's the power to live that way when someone insults me. It's the power to live that way when I'm deeply discouraged. So, I'm going to give you three things because we're going to focus specifically on the power that Jesus said that will help us to be good witnesses, because that's the second phrase you will be witnesses. You don't have to be able to walk out of a prison to be a good witness. And even if you can walk out of a prison, if you don't have what we talked about today, it's still empty. So there's the first thing that this power does is it makes us alive. Without this power, this flashlight, we say, oh, I can't use this flashlight, it's, what's the word? It's dead. And you and I are dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses and our, our sins. And until we come to Jesus Christ and, and our born again, we're dead. We're totally ineffective. We cannot be witnesses. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, and the word there is dunamis, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. This is the same power that guarantees that our bodies, so our spirits are made alive, through the new birth. Our bodies are still dying, but we have, because of our spirits being made alive, we have the guarantee that our bodies will also be made alive. Listen to Romans 8, 21. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid of death. It has no power over us any more than death had power to keep Jesus in his grave. Death will not keep a believing person who has the Holy Spirit within them, cannot keep them in the grave. And the resurrection opened the way for the Holy Spirit to dwell within believers. You see, it's the very same power, if you look at the words, that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the dunamis, that enabling power. And unless this first step of the new birth is taken, we can go no further in being witnesses. We can try. We're going to talk about Peter before he experienced this power, how he tried, but it felt flat. And it will for you if you do not have the resurrection power and your spirit is made alive. Many Christians are born again, but they're often content then to stay at the cross. They delight in the fact that Jesus forgave our sins through that sacrifice, and He did. But they stay there at the cross and they don't live in victory because they don't continue. They don't move on to the resurrection and get that resurrection power at work within them. In John 16, Jesus talks about what this spirit would do within them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or chapter 2. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but it says, uh, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. And it goes on to say that many things about God are not discernible unless the Spirit reveals it. The last verse there says, in 16, For who has understood the mind of Christ, the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? And then it says, But we have the mind of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, this dunamis, this power that we have, if we put ourselves, if we ingest the word and seek out the word, it is going to HELP US TO UNDERSTAND GOD, THE WAYS OF GOD. AND EVEN THOUGH IT'S FOOLISHNESS TO EVEN THE EDUCATED PEOPLE OF THE WORLD, WE LOOK AT IT AND WE READ IT AND IT MAKES SENSE AND WE UNDERSTAND IT. JESUS SAID THAT THE HOLY SPIRIT WOULD BRING TO YOUR REMEMBRANCE ALL THINGS THAT I SAID. WELL, THAT WAS A SPECIAL MESSAGE FOR THE the DISCIPLES who later recorded his word w- words, which we are grateful for, they were so clueless much of the time that he was talking, how in the world were they going to remember his sermon in detail? Unless the Holy Spirit impo- divinely helped them to remember that, which I believe he did, and we're grateful because it's recorded. But even for us, I think the Holy Spirit will bring these truths from God as we begin to know the mind of Christ. We begin to understand these truths and at the very appropriate times He brings them to our mind. Jesus said He will guide us into all truth. Jesus said He will convict us of sin. And when the disciples who were... At the crucifixion, most of them were hiding behind locked doors. After the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they were boldly proclaiming the truth. And when they were called in to the the rulers and the elders, the comment that I find very interesting that the writer, that Luke says, that these rulers could tell what? They had been with Jesus. And that is exactly when we, when we pray, when we read, when we, when we go to the Word to hear from God, this, there's something that happens. People can tell that we have been with God. So the first thing we said, the Spirit makes us alive. The second thing it says... It helps us to understand the ways of God. But we can't stop with understanding the ways of God. This power transforms our character to where our character begins to look like Jesus. But that only happens when we do take the next step. And I'd like to take you to... Um, John 14, where Jesus promised the Spirit. John 14, verse 15. And in this little section that we're going to read, it is bookended on the front and on the back where Jesus um, talks about the Holy Spirit. It's bookended with the idea of obedience you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so I would like to say, if I read this and I understand that correctly, what Jesus is saying when I choose to obey what he has revealed to me, he shows himself to me in deeper ways. And so you could say that intentional obedience is a catalyst. Obedience is not always easy. It wasn't when I was a child, and it's not a whole lot, maybe even more difficult, now. But when I choose to obey something, It is A catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds a specific change or action. And I think when we choose to obey God, it speeds up that process where I begin to become like Christ. It is a releasing of that power that he wants to give us. The intentional obedience or radical discipleship is another way you could describe it. It was a trademark of the original Anabaptist movement. They were the first group who really emphasized we have got to radically obey the commands of God. Even when it's hard, even if it costs our life, we have to do that. Unfortunately, we haven't capitalized on that idea well enough. We have sometimes become legalistic, THROUGH OBEDIENCE, AND SOMETIMES WE JUST NEGLECT OBEDIENCE, BUT OBEDIENCE HELPS US TO TAKE THESE IDEAS FROM GOD AND TO TRANSFORM OUR CHARACTER ON THE INSIDE TO BECOME LIKE CHRIST. PAUL DESCRIBES IT IN THIS WAY, 2 CORINTHIANS 3, NOW THE LORD IS THE SPIRIT, AND WHERE THE SPIRIT OF THE LORD IS, THERE IS FREEDOM. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what that verse is telling me that as I encounter, Jesus says obedience will make me manifest to you. So as I encounter Christ through my learning His ways, obeying His commands, I become more like Him. I actually take on more glory from one degree to another. I remember another thing that one of my teachers said. um, Some of you might remember Elmer Jancy. And he had a, a head a little bit like mine. It glowed. I always used to say his head glowed. And he said one day... If we would turn all the lights off in this room and the only thing that would be visible is that inner glory that you have from becoming like Christ, how bright would this room be? Could you see? We know that there is glory that is veiled because Peter and John got to see a little bit of that on the transfiguration. And Paul's saying we get that through obeying and taking that on. So three things, real quick, review with me. We are made alive. We understand and know the ways of God. And then our choosing to walk in his ways makes us Christ-like. Second phrase. You will be my witnesses. The apostles were witnesses of two things. They actually witnessed that Jesus was alive. How many of you have seen the resurrected Jesus? You have not. And the early church took that very seriously. And that is why when they decided what books to put into the New Testament... THEY SAID IT HAS TO BE SOMEONE WHO ENCOUNTERED THE RISEN LORD OR A CLOSE ASSOCIATE OF SOMEONE WHO DID. SO YOU AND I CANNOT WITNESS THAT. BUT THE DISCIPLES DID MORE THAN THAT. THEY ALSO WITNESSED THE TRANSFORMING RESURRECTION POWER OF THE CHANGE OF THEIR CHARACTER. And they were also witness of the deep moving of the Holy Spirit among them. Our witness today, our most effective witness, is a demonstration of this resurrection power in our personal lives. So if you knew me 50 years... Yeah. Could have been 50 years ago. I, I was not a very nice little boy. I... SHOWED OFF A LOT, I WAS NUMBER 10, THE LAST IN THE FAMILY, AND I WAS KIND OF SPOILED. I HOPE I HAVE MOVED BEYOND THAT. I HAD A TEMPER. I REMEMBER GETTING MAD AND HIDING FOR LONG PERIODS OF TIME, HOPING TO MAKE THOSE WHO MADE ME ANGRY SUFFER. I DON'T THINK THEY DID. Is, are we demonstrating a transformation in our lives? Why would your neighbors want to be Christians if what you are talking about doesn't work for you? I remember hearing, and I could tell you, I know exactly where I was standing when I heard someone say, and he meant it, that person is a Christian. I don't want to be one. And he proceeded for the next 20 years to live like the devil. And I say the more that we, we live out and allow this transformation to take shape, the more we'll begin to see unique moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it has to start FROM ALLOWING HIM TO CHANGE US FROM THE INSIDE. I'D LIKE TO TAKE JUST A BRIEF LOOK AT SIMON PETER. HE'S A FASCINATING DISCIPLE. HIS NAME WAS SIMON. IF HE WOULD HAVE NAMES LIKE TODAY, HIS NAME WOULD PROBABLY BE SIMON JONES OR SIMON JONAH BECAUSE HIS FATHER'S NAME WAS JONAH. HIS NAME WAS SIMON AND JESUS ALMOST ALWAYS CALLED HIM SIMON, EXCEPT ONCE. He gave him a nickname that stuck. And the reason Jesus gave him this nickname is because Peter made an incredible profession of faith. One that every one of us have to make if we're going to be born again. And Jesus was filling the disciples out and says, Hey, who are people saying that I am? AND THEY TOLD HIM VARIOUS THINGS AND THEN HE WENT TO WHERE HE REALLY WANTED TO GO, BUT WHO DO YOU SAY THAT I AM? AND PETER, ALWAYS THE SPOKESMAN FOR THE GROUP, SAID, YOU ARE THE CHRIST, THE Messiah, THE ONE WHO IS GOING TO BE OUR HOPE. JESUS WAS IMPRESSED AND HE SAYS, AND YOU ARE CEPHAS. Cephas is a Greek name or the Aramaic name for the Greek, Peter, which really means rock. You're a rock. And we could talk about what that means. And yet, despite that, in all four Gospels, what do we think of when we think of Peter? Peter is a disciple who denied Jesus. Why? He didn't know that power yet. It's not until after the book of Acts, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, does Peter, by God's grace and transforming power, become Peter, the rock that God prophesied he would become. Peter was an honest man. He was in many ways like an open book. You never had to try to figure out what Peter was thinking if he was in the room. He'd tell you. At one of Jesus' miracles, Jesus said, Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He understood who he was, and he was honest about that. Peter's rock Character was not because he was a great leader. He was already a leader among the disciples. Every list of the disciples, Peter's always named first. The most outspoken one, he was the leader. So his leadership skills, does, that's not what made him a rock. I think what made Peter a rock was when he failed. He was willing to be broken. What does the Bible say he did after he realized that he had denied Jesus? He wept bitterly. Peter was a broken man. And yet he was willing, he was humble enough to forgive himself and to go on. Judas couldn't forgive himself. The rock character of Peter came out in his brokenness before God. And that's really where we have to go to. Peter was strongly rebuked by Jesus. In fact, one time he even referred to him as Satan. And that was when he told Jesus, Jesus, never, you should not submit to being killed. That's far be that idea from your head. Get it out of your head. But yet in 1 Peter 1 says, we are ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Peter changed his mind. Like that of a lamb without blemish, I think Peter had taken on the mind of Christ. Three times Peter fell asleep in the garden. He was supposed to be keeping watch. He didn't have the strength to do it. And yet three times in Peter's writings, he tells us, watch, be alert. Once he says, prepare your minds for action. In chapter 5, be sober-minded. Be watchful. In 2 Peter, he says, take care that you are not carried away in error. That's not the Peter who couldn't keep watch. At the Last Supper, Peter demonstrated his pride when Jesus was washing feet. Peter said, Never, you're not going to wash my feet. And I think the part that Peter really had trouble with is he didn't like the servant attitude of Jesus. That's not, that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for a servant. It was very uncomfortable with that model. But notice what Peter says. Clothe yourselves with humility. Does that sound like Peter? How about this one? Live as servants of God. Doesn't sound Peter-like at all. And yet that's who Peter became And so, in closing, I would like to leave a challenge with you. From Peter, I brought a rock. I told the students down there, I asked them, "Uh, Is this rock alive? It's very dead. If you look really close, there's some green stuff living on it. But the rock itself is dead. Not a whole lot that a rock can do. But you know what? That was Peter before he knew the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection. And this is you and me without that power. But listen to Peter's invitation. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones. He's inviting us to be a Petrus, a rock that is alive. You are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Does that sound like a dead rock? But that's what happens when we are made alive. When we encounter the words of God and we commit ourselves to obeying them and allowing them to transform us into the character of Jesus Christ. So what is the difference between a dead rock and a living rock? You have to live in the power of the resurrection as Jesus did. And then the world will note that you have been with Jesus and they will accept your witness.